Welcome to season four of the Go Off Sis podcast brought to you by Target, our destination for celebrating ourselves and our success this year. Hello and welcome back to the Go Off Sis podcast, often imitated, never duplicated. Okay. (laughs) Okay. We had to speak on it. This season, we are celebrating the queens we all are, and quite appropriately, this episode, we're talking about Black love. It is the kind of love we all deserve, but as I know we're about to get into, we have some different opinions on it and thoughts on what it looks like, what it doesn't, and how to get it. So let's start off with talking about what is Black love, friends? It's beautiful, it's strong, it's persistent, always, but why aren't we seeing it more? We're going to get into that from colorism and dating to getting it together for our, uh, what I'm calling shot girl summer, vaccines on deck. We're (laughs) unpacking what it means to love and be loved today. And Today, I have three of my beautiful sisters with me. Kathleen, you feeling loving today? Oh, I'm always feeling the love when I'm with you, Chels. <laughs> so I'm Kathleen, senior editor here at Unbothered, coming to you from the six, as I do. I'm ready. I'm feeling the love. It feels like a spring day in the T-Dot today. So love is in the air. Yes, we are blooming and shining with two new sisters to bring into the round table. Vanessa, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little shot of that love? Oh, yes. I have to just shout out Kathleen for saying how awesome it is today. It's definitely sunny, warmer. Cannot wait for those warmer days. But I am Vanessa. I am a social content strategist on the one and the only Unbothered. Yes, I know that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And then we have Inaye over here. Introduce yourself to the people. Hey, y'all. It's Inaye Komonibo. I'm on the entertainment vertical, but I am Unbothered's friendly cousin. I'm always at the house. I'm eating your food. I'm sleeping (laughs) in the blanket your mama left out. I'm eating leftovers. I am here very much feeling the love. I'm wearing a crop top. That's how... The weather is doing me right now. I love it. Exactly. And that's going to be our energy for this episode, okay? So, all right. Every episode, we start off with a little roundtable question. And this week, I think, very appropriately, we're talking Black love couple goals, all right? Who are your faves? Who are you picking? And Aya, we're going to start with you. Go around the table this way. You know what? It's really hard to say couple goals because, you know, we don't know everybody's business like that. But there's some people that you're just like, I want to be the third, like not even <laughs> in a creepy way. I want to be in that relationship just to see, just like let me in, you know, and that's how I feel about Barack and Michelle Obama. It's giving power couple. It's giving I love my wife. You know, it's giving have you seen my queen today? I just think that especially uh, Michelle Obama is so loved by that man. And that is what I think is glorious to see a man who is a stand for his wife. Like, let me tell you about Michelle Obama. Let me tell you. And she's like, yeah, that's me. And she's not doing the same thing for him, which is also energy. like, mm-hmm, I like it. Yes. You know, you know, that energy, like you see my man adoring me and then, and you know, he's with me all the time. Exactly. <laughs> all right, Kathleen, how about you? Okay, I got two because I can never pick one when you ask me to pick one. OG. <laughs> Brown Sugar Couple, one of my favorite rom-coms, mm. Sydney Shaw and Andre Ellis, a.k.a. Sid and Dre. And then another fictional couple from This Is Us, my parents, Randall and Beth P. 
Pearson. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, Anae. What was mm. that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's what. Yeah. Okay. Randall Pearson. First of all, he loves on Beth. Like Barack loves on Michelle. Yeah. Randall Pearson knows the baddie that he has. And he will let him know, which I love. I love their family. I love how they ride for each other. In this this world of whiteness in the Pearsons and this white family, Beth and Randall hold it down for each other. I love that. I'm just, what is there not to love about them? He's so tight. Like, he he's is so a little, but Beth like goes like, up. That's true. I couldn't even tell these people apart if you asked me to. <laughs> so I'm going to hold on, Lisa, because I know you have your Capricorn opinions and we're going to just, we need some time it's with controversial, those. controversial, y'all. Yes. So I'm going to share just my Black Love Goals couple, which I feel like no one should really have an opinion about because it's like Bible at this point. Tiana and Amon. Like, that's, yeah, that's it. They are so Correct. beautiful and so loving. And when I say that fade video lives in my head rent free. <laughs> I just want to be there. Yeah, I that that's why I want to be there, sure. So I just appreciate also how much he loves on her. He caught Junie in his hands and literally cut the umbilical cord with his headphones. Like it doesn't get much better than that. I'm still not understanding that story. All right, Vanessa, bring us home. Black love gold. Couple. And I don't want to hear anything from anybody. So I'm just going to start it off with this. It's Beyonce and Jay-Z. Oh. And because I'm a Capricorn, mm, a I'm coming from a very successful angle on this one. Success is my middle name, y'all. So that is why <laughs> it's not really that they're a goal, but I just love the fact that they are out here doing a thing and being successful. And I appreciate that because I want to be successful. So that's why they're my goals, I guess you can say. But I don't want to hear anything from the peanut gallery, y'all. <laughs> Vanessa, I am also a Capricorn. And I will say, as much as I love our Queen Bee, I'm not sure if this is a relationship that I would want to emulate. But I will give Jay a little, little crumb of something and say that on 444, I appreciated how much he talked about his own personal work that he put in, that he did some therapy, that he owned up to the infidelity, that he owned up to his shortcomings as a man. He talked about masculinity in a way that I hadn't heard on a hip-hop album maybe ever. So I'll give him that, but that's a very small thing. And I will also give both of them the fact that they created Blue Ivy and they are Blue Ivy's parents. The Carter album did bang, the, the little... Thing did bang, but it's a no for me. No, it, it's a no for me. I just don't want to give someone cookies for doing the bare minimum at best. Imagine if he, like, how can you cheat on Beyonce? You know what? I'm, I guess I'm too broke to comment. <laughs> Let me say out of, of rich people business, I guess. Just even hearing our different versions of what, like, Black love goals are, we all have different conception of what love is, right? And what success is and what a good marriage is. And I think that's what we want to sort of dive into today and talk about. Where did those perceptions come from? When we think about, like, a Beyonce and Jay-Z, why do we automatically all have a picture in our head of what that love story looks like, right? Even though... Like you said, Vanessa, we're not in it. We're not in their relationship, but we see a version of it and it most certainly affects me. I know it affects everyone around us and seeing other Black girls. So what does that mean for us, right? Kathleen and Anaya, you guys recently 
had some fire pieces conversation around Black love. Malcolm and Marie, Bridgerton. What do you guys think when it comes to that like external perception of Black love? I just don't think that we get to see it enough. And I don't think that we get to see like the sweet side of it, right? When you think about people like even the Malcolm and Marie, like you have Zendaya and John David Washington just being horrible for two hours. Like when I watched it, I thought to myself, there's nothing redeeming about this film besides the the fact that the movie was not good. But like the chemistry wasn't there. The vibes weren't there. And I thought to myself, oh, wow, I really just sat here and watched two Black people shout and tear each other down for so long versus a movie like Sylvie's Love where you see two Black people who are obsessed with each other and are, you know, having butterflies and things like that. And I think after the absence of Black love on television and then like the oversaturation of negative and like toxic Black love stories, it's just, I'm soft. So I want to see Black people flirting. I want to see Black people getting nervous and going on their first date. Like that's the kind of stuff that I want to see because that's, it ain't my reality right now. <laughs> but once upon a time, I too was going on the first date with a man and having the butterflies. So that's what I want to see. And I wish that Hollywood would like give people a chance to be cute again. Hmm. Make Hollywood Make cute. Black again. Hollywood you know cute what I'm again. Yes. There I you would go. Add there it is. The photograph, Lisa Ray and Lakeith Stanfield to the example yeah, yeah. of a really beautiful black love story and where there is that flirting. And it's just like a nice, people called it boring. But you know what? Sometimes I just want a nice, low-stakes romance starring Black people because we rarely get that. Yeah, I think Anaya's right. Like, there's really few examples, especially recently, of Black love stories on television specifically. And I think that's one of the biggest criticisms we had about Bridgerton. Like, I understand what the story is. It was about this interracial couple, but I wanted... Because we see that already, I wanted a little bit more for the Black woman on that show. I just want to see Black women being loved on. And sometimes if that's going to be an interracial relationship, whether that interracial relationship is centered around whiteness or not, I just want to see Black women being loved on and being treated properly. And I think when we talk about Black love on television or in movies, we also have to talk about colorism because we always see a lighter-skinned woman with a darker-skinned man or however shade the man is, the woman is always lighter. And I think we see that in real life a lot too. And that just trickles down into everything. Mm. And are you guys taking notes, any Hollywood executives? Because (laughs) this is the audience. We're telling you what we need right now. When people rack their brains in Hollywood, like, how are we going to get to the Black audience? It's quite simple. (laughs) It's quite simple. Like, we just want to see ourselves loved on, like you said, Kathleen. And I feel like when we're talking about, like, our Black love goals and we're laughing about it, it did still take me a minute, though, to think about, okay, what is a healthy example of love that I've seen? And Kathleen, you had to go fictional. Oh, I know I did. (laughs) You know? (laughs) You know what? I will. (laughs) I did have to go fictional. And I had to, like, go in the bag from, like, 20 years ago for brown sugar. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of what we're talking about, too, is this idea that being able to love on a Black woman is such a specific thing. And it's, one, a privilege. 
And two, it's something that takes, as you said, Kathleen, vulnerability to be able to say, hey, this is my woman. She doesn't need me, but she has me. And I think that's a a really powerful thing. Again, when you think about Black love and you think about, like we said, this idea that we're only seeing struggle love, right? We're only seeing ride or die love. Kathleen, when you're talking about also representation of having darker skinned women, I'm thinking like, oh, like Jodie Turner-Smith. And Jodie Turner-Smith actually is an example in real life. She is with Joshua Jackson, Pacey Witter forever, but he loves on her and I just love seeing that. But yeah, it's not, a, it's not a Black love story, but I do love that she very openly is being loved on as a dark-skinned Black woman in real life. And I want to get her on screen. Put Jodie Turner-Smith in a rom-com. Please. Yes, yes. Please. Please. Let's talk about Black love in real life then, right? If these are the examples that we have and they need work, workshopping, and that's, you know, a Hollywood problem. But then let's talk about how that affects us in our day-to-day because I think a lot of this, again, comes to us how we love and the love we accept as Black women based on what we've seen out in the world. And, you know, again, I don't want to call anyone out here, but I'm just going to say that half of us are in a relationship (laughs) and the other half are not. Figure out who by the end of this conversation. Listen. Listen, I'm going to just tell myself right now. We've we've already (laughs) exposed, okay, some of us ain't doing all that loving thing, but, you know, (laughs) it's me. It's me. Sorry, it's me. I think that over time, you know, my um, understanding of what I deserve in terms of love as a Black woman has definitely evolved. I think that growing up, you know, I am a Nigerian-born person who came to the States and was raised in a place that was like majority white. And so, you know, as a little Black girl, you're not the person that people have crushes on. You're like the friend of the girl who people Mm. have crushes on and all of that stuff. And so, as you get older, you are grateful, I think, in a sense, when people show an interest in you and you feel like, oh, my gosh, like I should just accept this or whatever. And then, you know, I I wasn't all that cute in the puberty ages. But when I got fine, I was like, "Okay, hold on. I think my power is a little bit different. And so you start kind of getting bolder with it. And then now I'm like almost 30 years old. And now I'm kind of like, man, it's not even the quality of person that I need to be with, the kind of guy and man that I need to be with right now, there's so many more requirements, mm-hmm. right? And as opposed to when I was like early 20s or even like a teenager, I didn't want to be by myself. But now I can be by myself if the person doesn't meet those standards. So it's just like you have to suffer a lot as a Black woman, which is so unfortunate. Black girls go through so much. And then by the time that you're older, either you have accepted that your standards are okay and totally fine, or you still don't have standards and you're still working towards it. And I think that's the thing that's been very difficult because I've been single for a long time, but I've dated a lot of men. But it's just like the reason that I'm not in a serious relationship or haven't found the one is because of the different challenges, like the colorism or the like just simple stuff. I don't even know specifically, but you have to kind of hone your vision and your like idea of your dream love for yourself and stick with it even when you are lonely in the lonely seasons and the hard seasons. And that's where I'm at right now. It, I'm bored <laughs> and it's very, you know, After it's all, not I was that like, wow, lit. Yes. 
but even as single Black women, right? Like, we are the least desired when it comes to public perception, the least chosen on dating apps, along with Asian men. So that idea of saying, like, oh, yes, someone wants me, it feels real when actually it's it's coming from a place of scarcity. And I think in a lot of ways, a lot of Black women, when it comes to love, have a mindset of scarcity. And, yeah. and I'm saying this as someone who has had that mindset and has had to do a lot of self-work to recognize that that isn't the way to seek things out, right? That if someone doesn't want me, that's not a deficit in myself. And I think for a lot of Black women, that that's that's something that you have to come to because a lot of people are telling you the opposite, which is hard because you already have to deal with your own conceptions of what you are and what you want. But I think that all comes down to, again, this idea that our community and our conception of Black love is really narrow. And I think that is not fair to us. And it's also doing a disservice to us because there's so many other options out here and there's so many other opportunities for us to be loved on. Vanessa, what did that look like for you when it when it came to growing up and the opportunities and the options for Black love for you? Well, honestly, for me, my parents are both Black. That was all I, like, seen. But I also knew at a young age, like, they weren't married or anything. Like, they were just together. So I've always had a yearning to, like, be married and have this fairy tale life mm. with any relationship I was, like, seeking. And also, too, like, growing up, because I went to different schools, I didn't, like, see color or I didn't see it being a problem dating outside of my race. Like, the first boy I've ever liked was a white boy because I was surrounded by white people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but as I got older and, I guess, exposed to different cultures and more of my culture, I'm like, this is what I want. And on top of that, too, just listening to just how some of my family members would kind of, like, talk about how they would want their child to look. Like, that kind—I feel like, for me, going after Black love and having a partner that's Black was, like, my way of, like, showing them or showing other people that, hey, it's okay to be Mm. in a relationship with a Black person. They're beautiful, too. Because I don't like that colorism stuff. Like, I I don't like— for people to be like, oh, I don't want my child to have kinky hair. I don't, I don't want my child's skin to be dark. And look what we've been seeing in the media with mm. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry and just that and the uproar of that. Like even that was kind of triggering these last couple of days to listen and see. Cause I'm like, I've heard some of these conversations within my own family and how like wrong it is and just how off-putting it feels. So for me, black love is the only love (laughs) that I'm seeking at this Mm. point because I feel like I just want to show people that it's just as beautiful as that interracial couple that you're probably seeking or looking at or upholding as goals. Mm -hmm. That was a word, Vanessa. Mm -hmm. I am in an interracial relationship. I've said this on this podcast before. I've written about it, et cetera. Also, I subscribe to the notion that no one really cares. Lots of people in their (laughs) interracial relationships love to do swirl videos and talk about their white man like he's a fucking prize. Mine is not. He is just there. He worships me. He knows the baddie that he got. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's, okay. he's, you he's know around. What? You better speak on it, Kathleen. And the thing, he listening to the podcast. Yeah. Like, I know that's right. I am blessed yes. to be here. That's what he says every mm. day. Mm-hmm. And I will say that I still get 
a pang in my heart when we talk about Black love and, you know, to hear Vanessa say that this is, you're in a relationship with a Black man and you're like, this is, this is what I'm looking for and this is what I have and this is what, you know, we are going to have kids, dark, dark Black kids with kinky hair. I feel sad that that's not going to be my reality. Uh, you know, I'm engaged to this man. I'm going to be with him. We're going to have kids. They're going to be mixed. And I'm going to have to make sure they're not like, you know, light-skinned, light-skinned. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going to have to make sure they're not acting light-skinned. But I think about Black love and I think of like the Black love that my parents had before it fell apart. And I guess sad that I'm, I'm not going to have that. And I also feel some of the really unfair stigma around it, which partially I understand because I think interracial relationships, especially with a white person, have been put on this pedestal. So I understand when people look at it and roll their eyes a little bit or they see an interracial relationship and think that the Black person in that relationship thinks that they're better than or whatever, I get that. But I also sometimes internalize shame. And I think, oh, I'm I'm a traitor or I'm not holding down Black men like I should because I'm not with one. And I have to let myself off the hook for that sometimes, I think, because I am being loved on properly. Again, my, my man is obsessed with me and he is the person who fights for this relationship even when I don't sometimes. And so I, I just, and I also need to know that I deserve that kind of love. I think that goes back to mm. my childhood and all this, all the things that Anae talked about, about how we, we were just that, that sidekick, that best friend. We weren't the, in pop culture or on the playground, we were not the one that was desired if you grew up in a predominantly white space. And so I have to realize that I deserve this love and that even if this love is not by a black man, although I will never date a white man again if I <laughs> if this ever goes south, <laughs> I will say that. But I do de- deserve this love that I'm that I'm getting right now, and I need to be okay with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that part, <laughs> genuinely, and I feel like I'm gonna just switch this around because one of the things that you mentioned, Kathleen, and that keeps coming up is what we've learned from our parents. Right. And the models of black love that we've been given and that we've seen, you know, we've talked about in pop culture and on the playground, but the other P is our parents. And that model, I think, has very much influenced us. And Vanessa, you mentioned that for a long time, your parents were together and they were a model for you. And that obviously had influence on your current relationship. But what is that sort of what did you learn from your parents that you're sort of dealing with today or that you're looking to in a positive way with your relationship now? Like I said earlier, my parents were together and they weren't married. So, you know, I'm like, all right, y'all together, but why y'all not married? Like, what, where's the wedding pictures? <laughs> where's the fairy tale that I've been <laughs> watching on, you know, these Disney movies? Where's it at? <laughs> so for me, you know, just growing up in that household, it was kind of like, that's the norm. And I just always knew that I did not want that. I wanted more than that. And also two things that they've gone through because they eventually separated and have moved on. That has definitely taken a toll on me and just my perception with my own relationship to this day. 
just because in the relationship that I am in, I'm like trying so hard to not let it like fail or feel like I'm failing. Mm. Like we just started couples therapy because I'm like, okay, we're, we're doing good. There's some things that I need to work on. There's some things you need to work on. And I know that we don't have the tools to work on them because we've been at this thing for a minute and it's not getting any any better and we're going in a a cycle pretty much. And I've seen what that cycle has turned into with my parents, but I don't think they realize kind of the, the trauma that was put on us and the after effects me and my brother are dealing with today. And for me, it's just like, I want to deal with those issues that I had with my parents and just seeing like the outcome of how that fell apart. But I also know too that this relationship that I'm in, I want the best for it. And I want us to work towards, you know, getting married and having a family. You know, one of the things you said in here, which I want to just commend you on, is shifting some of the patterns that you recognized, right, that you felt were toxic or did not serve you, and shifting that and saying, all right, we need to go to therapy, which I think everyone can benefit from therapy, single, in a relationship, floating, Black love, I think, can always be worked on. And I want to talk a little bit then about what that looks like. And AA, for you, what is a good marriage to you in your mind? I mean, for me, I think about like what my love language is and even the way that it came about right now, as I am right now, the love language is acts of Mm. service. I believe that whoever says that they loves me needs to be there for me and needs to show up when I need them and vice versa. And I think that's because my parents have been married for such a long time and they went through so much, but they were always there for each other. And so... It's hard because when you're single and you start dating someone, I immediately expect the person to be there Mm. for me. How do you serve me immediately? Right. So, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, I love gifts and quality time and romance. And I'm like, so how are you going to (laughs) serve? What's up? Like, what are we doing? And I think that I have seen the end, like the tail end of a relationship, a relationship that's 30 years in the making. Right. And my parents were you know, young people growing up in Nigeria and immigrants to the UK and and then to the States and had all these kids and went through all this stuff. And so I am, I tend to ask for a lot immediately because I've seen my parents like be there for each other in the beginning. I'm not a romantic person because my parents are not necessarily the most romantic people. And when you're single, it's not really conducive to like a good dating life if you're not a person who can be like soft and like very flexible. I love to see people kissing and holding hands and stuff like that, but I'm not that girl because I didn't see that growing up. I'm not the go with the flow girl. I'm not easygoing. I'm not low maintenance. I am all of the opposite things. And that makes dating very difficult because if I think that it's not going the way I want, I'm leaving. Especially before you leave, Mm. I'm out. Peace. Like, let's just agree to disagree. There's no conversation. I actually prefer to get ghosted so that we don't even have to have that that thing. Let's just go our separate ways. It's not even, I'm not even mad about it anymore. So it's just, I, I think I'm looking at the end goal. I have tunnel vision. I want to get married. I want to build the, for, the the family and the legacy and the foundation. But you have to date first. You have to let the person in first. And I think that it's just kind of like, I want the end, the fairy tale, but the beginning stage is like, oh, this is so ghetto. Like, I don't want to do all of that. Yeah, no, you know, I told you guys this. I don't date, I disqualify. <laughs> um, because men are dumb and so am I. 
Um, but <laughs> it's fine. Not true. Not true. Know thyself. <laughs> know thyself. That's that's rule one in black love. Know thyself. But I, I want to, and I just go back a little bit and, and talk a little bit about what you were saying uh, when it comes to these expectations. One, I want to know, do you have these same expectations when it comes to platonic love or friendship love? Um... You know what? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I think that because I'm mostly friends with women, it's only a couple women and those are bad seeds. If you're listening, girl, you know what you did. <laughs> but it's only a couple of it's only a couple people that have not been able to like rise to the mm. occasion. I think that women in general, at least the ones that I've met, because like I said, mostly friends with women because that's just how I am have always been, you know what, I'm gonna show up for my girlfriend. I'm gonna be there for this person. And I think that men, the men that I've dated overwhelmingly have not possessed the skill set or the the emotional intelligence to be there. And I'm not even the type of person who's like, oh my gosh, I'm having a mental breakdown. Like I need you to drop everything, that kind of thing. I'm not that person, but just simple stuff. Keeping your word, doing the things that you said you were going to do, or being honest about where you're at or like emotionally or in the situation, being forthcoming about stuff. I feel like in my experience, a lot of men have had a hard time doing that. And so my platonic relationships and my friendships have flourished because I've like, I ask, sir, I wouldn't ask something that I wouldn't be able to give mm. also. So if I'm asking you like, hey, this is what I need and this is what I want, my friend will be like, okay, me too. And I'll be like, okay, let's go together. You ask a man like, hey, this is what I need. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're doing a lot right now. It's not even that deep. And guess what? You absolutely right, sir. It's not that deep. The number's deleted. The threat is deleted. I will never talk about you ever again. As far as I know, you don't even exist on this world. That's how I am. I throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> Everything gone. I will burn the whole thing down. I will blow it up. I will crash the car and I will get out and say, well, anyway, that's how it is. So I think platonically, I do ask that because I can do that. But with men, I just feel like sometimes when you're asking a lot, they just be making you feel dumb, like you're doing so much. And I'm like, I haven't even shown you the worst side of me yet because I could be that. The the reason you are going to find an amazing man and you guys are going to have this epic, beautiful love story is because you are all of the things that you're talking about. And because Mm. you disqualify when you need to. And because you're like, nah, this is how it's going to be. And if you can't get on board with that, bye. That's amazing. I did not have that. I'm 25, first of all. Yes. So in elementary school, yes. I love how I said that on the last podcast and people believe me. Yes, they did. <laughs> wow. As I said, I was dumb in my 20s and I'm still dumb in my late 20s. But (laughs) I think a lot of what you're saying also is just being able to come to the table as your full self. Right. I think one of the things that we keep circling is this idea of having the opportunity to show different sides of ourselves and to be soft, right? To have a crush, to kiss someone, to be sexual beings. I think when it comes to love and sexuality for a lot of Black women, it's zero or a hundred. And that's, you know, perception-wise when we see it on screen. But that's also, again, when people are in our DMs and talking crazy. (laughs) So, which I know we have all experienced in different ways. 
any Black woman right today who is on social media has experienced that or on in any yeah. way public facing, which is absurd. But I think... I think for me and in thinking about this, like I've never been someone who wanted a relationship because I'm genuinely just like my lifestyle is hot girl summer all year, all day, all the time. And (laughs) it's just like who I am. But that doesn't mean that when I am out in these streets that I'm not looking to be respected Mm. (laughs) and that there isn't a base level of respect and accountability that I expect from anyone that I'm dealing with. And I think we also, like for me, I had to get rid of those like expectations of what like how a black girl acted while dating too, right? Like this idea that she's, again, like either got to be like out here hoeing or nothing at all. And we're on our like self-love train and the door's locked. And I think for me, that that's also something that I'm still trying to deal with, right? Like that perception of who we are as black women when we're dating anyone. And that, for me, when you talk about shame in AA, that's, like, the thing for me that I'm like, uh, I don't really like to talk about this because then I'm going to have, like, a reputation. And actually, before I go any further, as I said, I'm just going to say allegedly for the rest of this podcast because I could be talking about (laughs) anyone. It could be Chelsea. (laughs) It could be Schmelsey. (laughs) I heard heard someone out here has a burner hoe phone. (laughs) I don't know her, but I heard about her. So... She in a different century. Hold on. She in a no, future. don't worry about it. I'm just saying. But I think like when we talk about coming as our full selves, we also need to be real when it comes to us as sexual beings, right? And being able to express love in a way that feels comfortable for us and in a way that we feel like we're being accepted as our fullest selves. Yeah. I think a part of that is like also just everything stems back to our childhoods and the way that we were raised. I know that a lot of different Black communities, like immigrant communities, like if you're part of a specific religion, sex is so taboo specifically for Black women. And I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church where we literally had like a True Love Weights program mm. and you would get like, you know, purity rings and stuff like that. And all the girls had purity rings and all of the men, all of the boys didn't have one. I think that going forward, we have to get rid of so much of that stigma and that shame because it's not even just about like comfort. It's about knowledge Mm. and education. Like, how do you know that you should not be a Mm. hoe? How do you know? You don't know. You don't know. Or how do you know that maybe like, "Ah, I'm too old to be a hoe. Like, I just don't have the stamina because I feel like I heard the hoeing (laughs) takes a lot of energy. I'm telling you, I just got to, you know. Allegedly, I have just a stack of five-hour energies. I got you. (laughs) I'm just saying. Listen, you have to do a lot of work. And I think that that's stuff that, you know, if we talk about it more, then women will be able to make their own decision about it. And then they'll be able to be happy and secure themselves as opposed to like falling into really crappy situations with really crappy people and then building Mm. up all this trauma. Like, why did I experience all of these things instead of like having my sisters or like my cousins or my friends telling me and putting me on? Yeah, and I I think there's Mm. so much in there that you just said, A, but one of the big things is the stigma and also how religious a lot of us grew up. And I think that that, when it comes to sexuality, also comes into who you love and whether that is yeah. a woman or a man mm-hmm. or a non-binary mm-hmm. person. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of confusion I had. I don't classify myself as necessarily straight, but I have been in a straight relationship for nine years. But 
when I was growing up and I was confused about all that, I didn't have anybody to talk to. I, you know, there wasn't mm. this conversation around sexuality that was open or freeing, whether that was what pleasure feels like to me or whether that was who I can be attracted to. And that's like when we talk about Black love, we haven't even really talked about Black love when it comes to the LGBTQ community at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a whole yeah. other conversation. When we're talking about love, the way we've been talking about it again is heteronormative, right? And it is yeah. a cis Black woman with a cis Black man. And that is not the way a lot of love stories go. And I think when we have this conversation also around Black love specifically, again, because it has been such a narrow concept from pop culture, from church, from our families, from our brothers and sisters, and sometimes from us too, right? Like in our own heads. Mm. I think we have to just be more open when it comes to that and just have this conversation about love as a more fluid concept. Because I think the other thing is like, love isn't always forever. And I know this is like a a hard thing. I know, I know. And look, when I was growing up, I always said like, I'm a Michael Jordan. I just need a Scottie Pippen. And then I saw The Last Dance and they didn't even pay Scottie Pippen. So love isn't real. But... (laughs) And I took that personally. Oh, I took that personally. (laughs) No, but like, I I think it's also something that we need to recognize that love doesn't always look like we think it looks or like we're told it's supposed to look. And it also sometimes ends, right? And that's okay, too. That's okay, too. (laughs) How do you you reconcile that? Like, I keep thinking, like, in my head, like, for me— I'm having a hard time understanding the concept of being married to a person, right? Like literally looking at a person saying, I choose you for however long. And that's presumably for the rest of our lives. But imagine you have decided, yes, this is forever. And then you wake up like, it's not giving that. Like, how can you come back from the idea of like love being temporary or love ending and you are just okay with that. Like, that's so wild to me. There's so many different levels Ooh, to that. Ooh, but just because it's temporary doesn't mean it wasn't true. I'm not trying to hear that, Vic. I feel... Delete me. I'm just saying that there you can experience... Like, I can experience love in, like, 10 seconds. You know what I mean? This is, again, I'm a Libra, so I can literally fall in love with a window pane. So that's, like, not... <laughs> Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But I feel like, and I don't know, Vanessa, you were sort of talking about this too when it comes to like long-term relationships and finding what works for you. I, I feel like it's okay to also say that this chapter is finished, right? And that you're moving away from that. In the same way that you you do that with friends sometimes too, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like I've recently, because I'm in my mid-20s, so I feel like I've recently gotten okay with or became okay with just like closing the door on Mm. certain platonic relationships that I've had, I would say within the last almost three years, I've gotten more comfortable with being like, you know what? Some people seasons have ran out. Okay. We had some great times and we got to experience each other. Now we are outgrown. We've outgrown each other. We're moving on. We're moving on to better and bigger things and we're not aligned and that's okay. I always say, too, it's okay to love people from a distance as well. Mm. Mm. I I hear I'm picking up what you're putting down. But for me, like it's 
I don't want to keep learning lessons through people. Like, that's the thing. Like, I think like, I don't know how many more lessons I have in me, like, especially when it comes to dating and relationships. I feel like back in the day when I was younger, my heart was a lot more elastic. Mm. Like I can bounce back. Like it didn't work out. Like, oh, that's, oh my gosh, love is so real and stuff. And the older I get, I'm like, Lord, not again. I'm tired. Like I'm the person who will now take breaks between dating people. Like, oh, I'm going to mind my business for the next X, Y, Z. So like loving from a distance, there's only one person, one guy that I've ever dated that I was like, oh yeah, I'm still cool with him. Like he's, that's my, that's my man's. But the rest of them, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Minicure, what you're doing is none of my business. I don't, I don't wish you well, but I don't wish negative things on you either. You just don't exist anymore. And I think that part of me feels like that's a pettiness, but it's also kind of like, it didn't work out and you had what you had, but it's, it's over now. Like, I don't think fondly of the situation. Just kind of like, okay, anyway, moving on. So I'm in therapy as well, y'all. Not with a man, but I'm 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 working it out. So that's what I, I really want to know because I feel like, especially if you're in a relationship like Kathleen and Denise, like you guys have to be able to adapt. Like maybe if you get into an argument and someone says something that you can't come back from, me, I will leave. I Like I said, I'm blowing everything up. I'm done with it. And I feel like with a relationship, obviously you can't do that. Mm. So first, I just want to say that I'm so glad our audience is getting to experience Anae as the person I know, because she's one of my favorite humans in the world. Second, uh, yeah, I mean, when Vanessa was talking about loyalty, we're both Capricorns. We also have this in us that we're very, like, loyal to a fault people. I have said, it's so funny, like, I felt like you were dragging me because I have said how long I've been in this relationship a million times on this podcast, (laughs) because... That is something that I cling to. And even in times when maybe I shouldn't have, there have been times over these nine years that I probably should have left. But I was like, but we've been together for this long and we've been through this and we've been through that. Mm. And he is like the most constant, never want to leave person. Like he will never leave. If this ever ends, I will be the person to end it. We both know this. And I just think that I, I have to choose Sometimes I have to choose loyalty or myself. And most, most days I choose both. I say, can mm. I still be me? And can I still evolve in the ways that I need to evolve and be with this person? And can he evolve with me? And I think that is the key to being in a long-term relationship. And even when you fight and you go to blows or you go to therapy or you need a day apart or days apart or whatever, you both just have to decide together, do we have the same goals? Are we committed enough to change and fight and whatever, but stay in this? And are we still happy? That is one of the big things I will say to anyone in a long-term relationship. And Mm. you're not going to be happy every day. Oh, there's ebbs, there's flows for sure. But is this relationship still serving you? Can you still be your best self with that person while they're being their best self? And that does that align? And if that answer is no, it is so hard. I think Black women need to hear that message especially. Yeah, yeah. Because it can be something that you just decide over time, this is not serving me anymore and I need to move on alone. And that's going to be okay. Being alone is okay if I'm happier and at my best alone. 
Yeah, word. Can't believe you're out here um, breaking people up. <laughs> because let me tell you, break up with him. Break up with him. Break up with them. Break up with him right now. <laughs> Okay, well, with that, my dear sisters, we have reached the point in our show entitled Don't At Me. Don't At Me is meant to tie a bow on our discussion, give us some food for thought, and sum up that queen energy we've been talking about all season. And in case you didn't read the terms and conditions on that agreement, you cannot at us, okay? Nothing. Nunca. Nine. No. Nada. No. Heart emoji. So for today's Don't At Me, we have the incomparable Anae. So come on, Anae, and give us some of this good love, girl. Hey, y'all, I know you was listening to us talk about Black love. If you are Black and you want some love, set your standards higher. Higher than they were. Listen, you deserve everything that you want, but you only going to get it if you ask for it. So when people want to waste your time, let them go. When people want to play with you, let them go. If they want to lie, if they want to cheat, if they want to steal, if they want to disrespect you, let them go. Hollywood, you ain't safe. I'm on your head. Let me see some Black people going on a first date. Let me see some people holding hands. Let me see some some Black people not knowing what to send the person that they like. Please, God, let some Black people go on a first date. Please. I want to see it. And then, let you know what? I'm getting real close to the mic. I want you to cast a dark-skinned Black woman with a dark-skinned Black man and not have anyone get shot by the police. I really, okay. Okay, thank you so much. And for anybody who has childhood trauma because your parents didn't love each other the way that they should have or you didn't learn how to love another person, therapy is there. I know that it's hard and I know that it's still stigmatized in our community and we all need to do better, but somebody is there and waiting for you to talk it out because you deserve to be loved. Even if the love is going to take a while and it's way down the road, even if you're a little salty right now, even if you're a little hurt, it's there. It's there. So let's work it out. And girls, and girls is, you know, to anybody, anybody that's not gender specific, girls, If you want to learn about dating and you want to know more, you need to talk to your friends about it. Please, let's stop being secretive about our sex lives, about our love lives. Tell your homegirls, tell your homeboys. Let's have a conversation. Let's start a dialogue so that we can love each other better and have more successful relationships because I'm so tired. I'm so tired of people struggling in silence and not knowing what to do. Please tell me the tea and put me on game so that we can be better as a community. That's all. Stop playing with me. I said what I said. Don't at me. This season, we're powering our purpose, living our passions, and reminding ourselves that we are the queens we worship every day. From the tools we need to be our best selves to the energy we deserve to make those dreams a reality, we are Black beyond measure. Target is investing in the success of Black creators with their year-round platform and dedicated support. Head over to Target.com slash Black Beyond Measure to learn more about how to power opportunities for our success. So we are so excited for today's guest and this conversation we're about to have. We are welcoming someone we all know and love to the table, Megan Good. 
Megan, the good, <laughs> has been on our screens consistently since she was a child and has built a hugely successful career now as an adult. Her resume is a study in classics, okay, from Think Like a Man and Jumping the Broom to Stomp the Yard, Eve's Bayou, and Cousin Skeeter. She's also taken up work behind the camera as a producer, entrepreneur, and an author. And next up, she will be starring in the new Amazon studio show, Harlem. Welcome to Go Off, Sis, Megan. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> hey, round applause. I feel like I need to applaud for that. <laughs> truly, um, truly. So this episode, we are talking all about love, Black love, and what that means for us and how fortifying it is as a concept and as an energy that we all need and deserve. And we're talking about what that looks like in a few different ways. So we wanted to just set that scene for you as we sort of go into this conversation. Yeah, and we're so excited to hear you delve into all things Black love. But first, we know that romantic love starts with self-love. And you said that you start your day with affirmations about yourself, which I love. So can you please share some of those affirmations and how you start your day and how that improves your uh, self-worth and your sense of self? Yeah, of course. So when I sit up, the first thing that I don't do is grab my phone. Mm. Um, I try to just be to self. And so I sit up and I say, um, God, I am your child. I am dearly loved. I am loved unconditionally. I belong to you, God. Jesus, I am your friend. Jesus, I am your bride. Thank you for carrying me. Thank you for covering me. God, I am your child. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I am blameless. I am righteous. I am adequate. I am a new creation. I am victorious. I am never alone. I am seated in heaven you know, days it varies. Some days you don't feel adequate, you know, other days you feel incredibly adequate. And so I I just think about what it feels for me when I first wake up in that moment. Then I pull out my Bible, I read. Uh, Sometimes it's like two sentences. Sometimes it's a chapter. Right now I'm just reading from the beginning to the end. So I'm in Isaiah, but sometimes I'll just kind of like steer off the path and just say, oh Lord, what do you want me to receive today? And, you know, what do you want to tell me today? Then I get up. I always make my bed if I'm at home. Something about it just like the ritual of it just gives me like a little bit of peace and a little bit of organization. And I just feel a little less like chaotic and crazy. Then when I get into the car, the first thing I do is I play gospel music or some uplifting music. And, you know, as I say, it gets a little ratchet after that. But. I actually have a question on that. And so when you're doing those affirmations and, you know, you're saying them every day, is that also just in terms, like, have you seen that manifestation, like, come back to you? And when you're sort of, like, calling out for things, like, are there things that you can think of maybe career-wise, love-wise, friendship-wise that, you know, you sort of call on and it's come back to you? For sure. I think that, um, you know, it's uh, for me, in one breath, I'm beyond overconfident. And then in another breath, there's always this, well, why not me? And why didn't they Mm. pick me? And why won't they give me a chance? And why don't people see my heart? And why don't they get this? And, you know, and it's like, for whatever reason, you may feel inadequate. For me, most of the time, it's because I perceive someone else as feeling that I'm inadequate. And that can be 
a little overwhelming for me because I can be a, a bit of a people pleaser and that's been kind of a, a life journey. But I, it's kind of like if you, if you have a crush on the boy, right? And he has a crush on another girl and you're like, what? What are you talking about? I have life. But then the thing is, is it doesn't, it, it's almost like it doesn't matter because it's like, but he still likes her, not you. So no matter how confident you are and how you feel about you, the one whose affections you want does not feel that way about you, which is just as bad as it just being that anyways. So that's kind of like the, the thing that I struggle with in terms of, of um, people pleasing and feeling inadequate. It's like, but I am, but they don't think I am. And I want them to think that I am. I want them to get it, you know? So um, just speaking it over myself, I've definitely seen it come back in my career. And it's just like, you know, learning just like not everybody's for you and that's okay. Not everybody's going to get you. Not everybody's going to love you. And it really has very little to do with you. Mm. That's such a great point again about like people, you will find your tribe, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast and they will come and what is for you is for you. Amen. And I think that that's a lesson that comes with time, right? But it also oh, yeah. is <laughs> something that you're like, but, but I want it now. <laughs> I, I right. said it now. <laughs> so where is it? <laughs> that part. That yeah. part. It's a journey. It's a lifelong journey. I think for some people, it's easier than others. Like for my husband, it's so easy. It's actually obnoxious. <laughs> he's, he just, he's very unaffected by certain things. And it, um, I think it's actually helped me in a lot of ways. And it's very inspiring to to watch his kind of freedom in some of that stuff. And so it, for me, on the other hand, it's been a lifelong journey. But I do feel like probably, honestly, in the last year, I've gotten to a place that I didn't even know that I could get to. And what is that place this past year? You know, if I go through... There's always, and it's so weird because I was, I was getting therapy yesterday and I was talking, I just started with a new therapist and I was talking to her about this, you know, just feelings of like, you know, I feel that I'm enough, but I feel that some people don't feel that I'm enough. Mm. What I went through with my skin there, the short version is, is I um, went to an unlicensed esthetician and didn't know that she was unlicensed until after the fact. And uh, she was supposed to be helping me with like a scar on my leg. And she gave me these anti-aging products and they were really great. And so she convinced me to let her get rid of some sun damage on my forehead. I start using the products. Three months later, I'm like five shades lighter than my natural skin color. And I'm like freaking out. And I'm like, like, what's going on? She's like, oh, it's just going to lift first. And then all your color will come back. And me and Devon were looking like, I don't know, I feel like something's wrong. And I'm like, I want to fix this like right now, right now. And she gave me this serum. She's like, sit out in the sun for like 15 minutes, which, you know, I'm almost 40. So just sitting out underneath the sun is already not a great idea. Like if I'm swimming and I'm on the beach, that's one thing. But I was like, all right. So of course I sit out there for 30 minutes thinking I'm going to get darker quicker. And I come in the house and this serum has attached itself to my face. To whereas I literally cannot get it off. And I'm like trying to wash it off. It got to a point where I had to scrub and flesh was coming off of my face. And um, I had to go back to New York to finish filming the show. When I got there, I mean, my skin was like blotchy and like pink spots and like scar. It was, it was really, really bad. And it was really traumatic. And the thing that sucked is that, you know, people were dragging me on the internet saying, oh, well, she bleached her skin and da, 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 da. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I would never do that. You know, especially because of 
what I grew up, what yeah. I experienced growing up. I'm such an advocate for my brownness. I love my skin. I love myself. So to be it, to be in a situation where people are thinking that you bleach your skin and then you've got little girls who follow you and already are struggling with what society tries to tell them, you know, thinking that, oh, well, I'm not pretty. And it's like, no, you're the most exotic thing on the planet. You are gorgeous. And I want to continue to be used as an example. So it just, it was very mortifying and extremely traumatizing. And, and the hardest part was, is usually when, when someone says something, I'm able to like, you know, defend myself, say my piece. I say it in love. I will make you feel stupid, but I'll say it in love and <laughs> kindness from my heart. I will even pray for you. But um, when I couldn't defend myself because it was like, well, it's not like I could just post a picture and be like, that's not true. I can't do anything because I look crazy. I, there's nothing I can do. I just have to sit there and take it and accept the fact that this is what some people think of me. And some people are not going to give me the benefit of the doubt. And some people are not going to say, well, maybe something happened to her. Maybe she's going through something. Maybe she's not okay. For some folks, that's just not going to happen with me. So it was a challenge. And, you know, I'm still in the process. I'm still like a shade away from, you know, what I want to be, which is my natural color. But it's been about a, it's been about a year and a half process. And wow. over this last year and a half, at one point I had to sit down and I was like, oh my God, I've been praying for you to help me, to release me from what other people think of me. I've been praying for you to not allow me to be so hurt and to take it so personal. I've been uh, like praying for just like freedom of just anybody's opinion of me. And I sat down one day and I was like, oh, excuse my language. I actually don't give shit. (laughs) You know, I'm like, when you get pushed so far, you know, and I, and I, I wrote this poem about it on, on my pages and my highlights, but it was like being at the edge of a cliff and people are like pushing and poking and prodding and you're just trying not to fall off the side. And I just got to a point where I just jumped. And then when I jumped, I started flying. Mm. And obviously we know what we see of Megan Good, like what you put out there, but we also know the stories that have kind of floated around and like yeah. people's opinion of you that comes from nowhere that's so random and so made up and things like that as a person who has status and who has been a celebrity for a really long time do you feel Mm -hmm. like that like public perception of you of your relationships of the way that you behaved or the way that people perceived you to be perceiving yourself do you feel like that affected the way that you navigated the dating world or date or like navigated like your yourself as a single black woman possibly on the path towards love. Obviously you're married and mm-hmm. it, you guys are cute and having a good time. And I'm always like, <laughs> I love it. I love, you know, Christian relationship goals, but it all hasn't always been that way. It seems. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like being famous made it difficult or even more difficult than it normally would be? So I don't think it made it hard. I just was protective of, you know, when I was dating someone, just try to keep your business out of the streets. It's funny because the business that I would hear, I'm like, and that's not even true. Funny thing is I was dating this one over here, but this one, I don't even know. I didn't even met him, you know? Um, but so no, I, I don't think it, it made it hard. It made me cautious and protective over my space and my spirit, but it never stopped me from making any decision or, or stepping into any situation, no matter what the outcome potentially would be. Hmm. I love that. And that's got to, going back to a strong sense of self, you've got to have that first. Right. 
Mm. And I, I think that's such an Im- important point to bring up about how you, as someone who has been, again, in this industry for so long, have developed your self as an actress in front of the screen, as, again, an entrepreneur and a wife behind the screen, and just you as a person. And as I said, we're, we're talking about sort of love. And the way that we started this episode was we sort of were talking about seeing Black love in pop culture. Where do we see it? And why isn't there enough representation of good, positive Black love, not mm-hmm. struggle love, not ride or die love, not, you know, it's us versus him or them love, real, right. just positive Black love. And I just, I want to just get some of your thoughts about as someone who always tries to be an example of that, of Black love in your life and, and on screen, what do you think in terms of representation we need to see more of on screen when it comes to portrayals of Black love and relationships? I think more healthy relationships in general. You know, I mean, the unfortunate thing is people like to watch love and hip hop. I like to watch love and hip hop, you know, <laughs> but just be honest, you know, but, you know, then you put on like, you know, Run's house and it's like, yes. It, it was able to continue to run and people watched it. It was one of those shows that were positive that broke through, but there's not a lot of shows like that that break through. And unfortunately, it's because the messaging that we're telling ourselves and the messaging that's constantly being perpetuated. And even if you have a great head on your shoulders, like I, I believe that we are and having this conversation, we still might watch the show. And so I think it's just important to combat that with finding different ways to get more positive shows out into the world, get more positive images, more positive representation. You know, with this, the show that I'm doing right now, Harlem, it's really lovely because she's, you know, she's still an awkward girl trying to like figure out and navigate love in her thirties. And she makes mistakes along the way and does some questionable things along the way. But her love story is very healthy and very honest and very about you know, her self-love and figuring out like, you know, how do I put myself first? And and there's just all these really beautiful colors in it. And that was one of the things that excited me most about the show is because one, you have four beautiful Black women who come in all different shapes, sizes, walks of life, like just, it's very, very cool. And they represent so many Black women that do not get represented on camera. Because when you talk about how we're represented, it's this girl, that that girl, that this girl, that that girl. And the wonderful thing is these characters are very, fresh. To me, you know, Camille is, she's clumsy and she's high strung and she's awkward and and she is extremely quirky, but she's also like, you know, a genius. And, you know, she, there's just all these great things about her. And then, you know, Grace's character, she's, she's from the Cayman Islands, but also Jamaican. And like, she represents a, a, a woman that every time you see that represented, it's a stereotypical kind of like, you know, version of like the thick accent. It's like, oh, that's just it. That's like the one note, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, but then she also makes, you know, it's just, it's really, really cool. And when I read the script, I thought this is like the kind of thing that we need. And this is the thing I want to be involved with. And and I don't want to talk too much about like my relationship on the show because I don't know if I'm allowed to, but um, it's wonderful because it's like, we need more of that. And I think part of that is doing our part if my contribution is showing up to play the character or producing something or, you know, creating a music video that has a positive, you know, imagery and conversation or, you know, directing something, whatever, it's like whatever we can do 
to contribute to the narrative that we know that we all need to see, but especially this next generation needs to see because they're being informed right now by everything that they see. And we do have a responsibility, but I think we just have to be very intentional because we can't afford not to be. Mm-hmm. And that intention is so important behind the scenes. You know, we talk about representation, but we all know yeah. that representation in front of the camera won't save us only, if that's it. That part. That part, right? Yeah. And it's really interesting to me that one of your first roles was Eve's Bayou, directed by Casey Lemons. So I want to know, how does having a Black woman behind the scenes, specifically in the director role, shift the portrayals we see on screen when it comes to Black love? 100%. We tell our experiences like no one else can tell them. You know, and that's what we did with If Not Now, When, the movie that I co-directed was, you know, we're constantly being told, well, if you want to do a movie about four Black friends, then it's got to be a comedy. It's got to be a comedy, right? It's got to be a comedy. And we're like, no, this is a drama. And they're like, yeah, but where, where's the moment of levity? They're, it's not a comedy. Do you not think that we're not intelligent enough to enjoy movies like, like Waiting to Excel that have existed in the past? We just haven't really made them since because you keep telling us that we don't want to see that kind of movie because I'll get all kinds of ways about I'm like, because you think that we only want to shuck and jive and dance around, dance around you know? It's okay. like, it's like, you know, but... And it's interesting because even with the reviews of the movie, everybody who looked like me got it. And so many who didn't were like, well, we didn't really see the comedy. I'm like, because there is none. It is not a comedy. But I think, I mean, at the end of the day, I want to do more like this. And I think that seeing Casey Lemons at, you know, me at 14 years old, I didn't know that there weren't a lot of Black female directors. I didn't know that she was damn near a unicorn. So she is my first example, you know? And and before that, the first director I'd really, like, really paid attention to was F. Gary Gray, who directed Friday when I was 13. And so that was how I was introduced to the world. So that was Mm -hmm. what I expected. And that possibility was very possible for me, the same way that being president will be possible for so many others because they came into this world not knowing that every president before him was white because their first president that they remember looked like them, you know? And so it's, it's just so important. I just realized on my la- on the Lifetime movie I did it, back in November, that was the first time I ever saw a Black DP. I had never wow. seen a Black director of, of photography and I didn't even realize it until I saw him. And I was like, I don't think I've ever seen a Black DP before. And that's like in over 30 years, I've never seen that. Wow. But the wonderful thing is, you know, the shift is happening and it's happening not fast enough for me, but it's, but it is happening in a big way and I'm seeing it. And the thing is what happens in the industry does impact the rest of the world. The things that come out of Hollywood go into every corner of the world and they tell you and inform you so much about who yourself, who you are, your self-love, what is possible, what you can achieve and all those things. So what we do here is super important. And, and some of the examples that are set, set are super, super important. And so, you know, to what you said earlier, it's like, yes, representation is great. Pay me, <laughs> pay me what I deserve, you know? And, and that's like, even that's a new notion for me because growing up in the business, you're just so happy to get the job you're just so happy that they're not just casting white and that a black girl could maybe get it. So even when you get the job, it's like you don't want to make waves because 
it, it, for a long time, it felt like so few of us could get our foot in the door. And then when it did, it's like, you don't want to be uh, portrayed a certain way or like bitchy or like whatever it is just for being honest and speaking up. And then I have the added, you know, you learn all these things as a child, which is like, be quiet, you know, wear what they want you to wear, let them do your hair however they want to do it. If you don't like your makeup, just sit down. If you don't know about this line and you're not sure about it, just shh, just do what you're supposed to do. Just be cooperative and be easy. And so that's something that I had to unlearn as an adult. I had to unlearn it as a woman, period. Because even with that, it's like I could be on a show and I could be number one on the call list, call sheet, but then the white man who's number two is still being paid more than me. I had to unlearn it as a woman. I had to unlearn it as a black woman. And even now, sometimes it's like, you know, it's like you, you're like, well, I don't want to be difficult, but you know, and so it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting journey, but I would say now being able to look around and have so many examples starting to not just come, but, but also be able to work and thrive and be successful and be able to move the way they want to move and create opportunities for other people it's uh, it's pretty magical, you know? And uh, again, we've got a long way to go, but we're certainly making some big strides and I'm, I'm super thankful for that. Can I ask you, because as you're talking about this and all of the things that you've sort of had to deal with in this industry as a woman, and as you said, as a Black woman, was there ever a point where you were just like, you know what, enough, I- I'm done. I'm tired of having to deal with this backlash or these perceptions or not mm-hmm. being paid enough or again being told what to wear what not to wear was there ever a moment where you just wanted to sort of set it down it's interesting cuz i i am not a quitter the more that somebody tells me no or tries to get me to give up the more i dig my heels in mm. so there's never been a reason for that like, you know, the stuff that's, that's happened that I've had to deal with that, that made me go, I just don't want to do it. It's just not worth it. I've never felt like that. I've only felt like, you know, well, what does this Tyson have to deal with? And, mm-hmm. you know, what did Ruby D have to deal with? And, and what did Angela have to deal with when she was first starting out? And, you know, it's like, for me, it's really about accomplishing what I deserve to accomplish, taking it to the next level and making it easier for the little black girl behind me. I think it's a waste of time to complain or to be like having a chip on my shoulder or be like, that's not fair. It's like, there are a lot of things that, that aren't fair. The question is, what am I going to do about it? Because I can quit. That's an option that I don't want to quit, especially because my quitting doesn't just impact me. It impacts so many others around me. It's our responsibility to make room for each other and to make opportunity for each other and to fight in arms for what's next. And um, so I've never felt it in that sense. I think the only time I did consider wanting to quit just the industry is I was just working on a show that was just so challenging and overwhelming. And I wasn't going to quit then. I was like, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to win and I'm going to make it, I'm going to survive. But when I get to the end of it, when I've actually completed the job, I might, I might step away because it just was so, and it was one of those things where the producer was such a big deal and, you know, he had chosen one of the other roles and the studio had chosen me. And so I felt that I had something to prove and 
going in. There were a lot of hands in the pot and the child actor and me is like, wait, they want me to do this. And when we just, okay. And then it's like two people are telling me to do two different things at the same time in the same moment. And then they're like, okay, action. And I'm like, I don't know which to do. And then it got to a point where I couldn't remember my lines and I was starting to just like black out from the stress. And then the stress of being afraid that I was going to forget my line because it was happening so much just made it like, just like overwhelming. It's like I got to set every day and I was just terrified that I was going to forget my lines. And then it would happen because I was so terrified. And it's just, just went on for months and months. And like one of the directors, like just like straight up yelled at me, like in front of the crew was like telling me, like, I mean, just was like in my face, like telling me recite your lines in front of the, in the entire, like the set of 200 people and just like put me on the spot. And I'm like trying to say them as fast as I can say. It. And it was just like so much stuff going on that, you know, one, one director got there and asked me if I had ever worked before. This was my first job. And I think I was 34. And I was like, um, no, I was like, no, I, I was like, I've done some other stuff. And I just left it at that, you know, but it wasn't until this young black director, his name is Tunde, came in and he just, I think he just knew and he was like, you know what, do whatever you want to do. I trust you. You got this that things started to shift. He just trusted me and he just let me be. And once he let me be, then I started to, you know, thrive and it was great. But by then it was just like one of those situations where I just, part of me couldn't wait till it was over. And the other part of me was enjoying certain aspects. It was just, it was very overwhelming. And, what, and when I was done, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't know if I want to act anymore. And then I was like, oh wait, that was really fucking hard. And I survived. So. If I survived that and I've survived crazy personalities, crazy other actors, angry directors, racist comments, sexual advances, colorism, I mean, all kinds of stuff. If I survived all of that and I survived the biggest personal battle, which was like people pleasing and, and being humiliated and someone like verbally abusing me in front of everybody, all that, I was like, if I survived that, well, then there's nothing I can't do. So therefore, I'm not going to quit, you know? Whew. So many gems in there. <laughs> just yeah. dropping them. <laughs> Thank you for just sharing that and being vulnerable with us because I think a lot of people will feel that and hear that. It, it just even, you know, whether or not you're in a, a place of power or privilege, you know, mm-hmm. if someone like a Meghan Markle and a Meghan Good can feel like that at the same time, then I know, you know, a lot of young girls feel like that too. So I appreciate very much your vulnerability with that and speaking on that. Of course. Amen. So we have a series and it is called Dear Black Love. And it is a show where it's literally just two, one, you know, a Black couple sitting on a couch talking about how they love on each other. And every episode, we end with a question and we say, what does it feel like to love a Black woman? We ask their partner. And so I want to ask you, Megan, what does it feel like to be loved as a Black woman? Mm. What does it feel like to be loved as a Black woman? Seen, I think. Sometimes I think that we don't feel seen. You know, when I said earlier, you know, in the industry and in general, we're often told in some capacity that we're at the bottom of the totem pole. And, um, and it goes even further when you get into colorism. And that's just such a lie of the devil. And, 
you know, as I said earlier, we are the most exotic beings on this planet and not just black, but black women specifically. And, um, I think that that's something that we have to know about ourselves. You know, as you said earlier with self-love, you have to know it about yourself first and when and if, or, you know, the right person, that man or woman or whatever comes along and loves you truly, unconditionally, in every way that you deserve to be loved as close to how God loves you as a human is capable of doing. I think that you feel seen, discovered, and able to kind of like shine and like the fullness of like your glory in a different capacity for a different part of who you are because there's many parts of who you are. But yeah, I think seen. I feel like I, all of us are just nodding our heads. You guys yeah. can't see it. <laughs> like that answer just like mm. made me feel seen. So yes. thank you so much, Megan, for just being here and sharing yourself and your story and your energy and for also just being so generous with it and giving it out so freely to all of us here on this podcast, to our audiences. Again, what you, the work that you do in front of the camera and behind it. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on Go Off, Sis. Appreciate you. Thank you, y'all. Thanks for having me. And thanks for um, creating a platform where we could actually have talks like this because I think that they are so important for us to connect and to feed into each other and to, to cover each other and to just talk about things that we don't always get to talk about. And so I, I think that this is really special and I'm, I'm really glad that you guys had me and I'm really glad that I had y'all and we were able to do this. Whew, yes, I just, yes. again, 12-year-old Chelsea is really, really happy. <laughs> The Go Off This Podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Rashad Isaac, Shirley Williams, Jordan Mason, and me, Chelsea Sanders. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Kathleen Newman-Bermang, Inaye Komanibo, and Vanessa Kocher. Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started, on Instagram, at R29Unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis. Money world.